Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. Hey, Robert, would you eat an artificially grown organ? Ooh, well, this raises a number of questions, doesn't it? Is it a, yeah. is it an animal organ, a human organ? Let's say it's, uh, let's say it's an animal organ. Okay. For now. Uh, let's say it's chicken. It's a hmm. chicken. It's just a slab of chicken. Uh, and it's been nice and, um, fried up. It's covered <laughs> in, in juicy oils and, and breading and there's some butter and spices on there. Huh. But you know this didn't come from a real chicken. It was grown in a lab. Okay. So on one level, I don't have to worry about, uh, was the chicken humanely raised? How did it live? How did it die? Not at all. What was its diet? Yeah. But it, I, these were just grown from cells scraped off a chicken. Okay. But then I have to worry about that side of it. This is something yeah. artificial. It's something that has been grown in a vat or or uh, or grown over some scaffolding, as we'll d- discuss in this episode. Yeah. So how am yeah. I supposed to feel about that? And then how am I supposed to feel about eating meat at all in this scenario? Is it is it right. worth it? Why am I going to these means, uh, these extremes to eat this food, to get this protein, when I could conceivably get it from something that is a little less uh, Frankenstein-y, if you will. Yeah, and it raises a lot of questions, a lot of Frankenstein-y questions, as we're going to talk about throughout this episode. Today, we are talking about artificial organs fresh from the vat, grown <laughs> grown in a vat. Uh, and this is sort of a spinoff from our penis transplant episode because we ended and said, wow, there was some research on artificially grown penises and vaginas. And we wish we had time to cover that. And we said, let's just build a whole episode out of that. Yeah. And it, it actually follows nicely an episode that I recorded with Joe that I think we'll publish directly before this one that uh, tackles the synthetic biology area from at a, more of a genetic uh, genomic uh, level. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's fascinating what we can do, mm-hmm. uh, and, and also what, what we can't do. So we're going to sort of walk you, the listener, through, you know, the general process, and then we're going to go organ by organ <laughs> through the human body as to what we can actually grow and potentially transplant. And at the end, I'm going to try to keep track of this on a piece of paper as we're going along here. And at the end, we're going to talk about what our artificially grown Frankenstein looks like. Like, what parts are we pretty close to being able to sew together here for our Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah. We're going to provide, we're essentially going to provide a scaffolding of knowledge here uh, that you may grow your own Pun understanding intended. over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but I think it's, it's cool to sort of take it piece by piece. And because this is how science works, right? Scale yeah. by scale, we build out the entire picture. And it's important to let's let's get two things out of the way before we dive into the vat. Uh, there's the first is that you know some of you are probably asking well, why would we need to grow organs in a vat? Why why would we even do that unless you're a mad scientist? Well, biomaterials are historically used to replace diseased or damaged tissues. So you know if somebody's got a bad ticker or a kidney or a lung or whatever, wouldn't it be great if you could just swap in another one that you grew in a tank rather than getting a donation from somebody else? Which leads me to 
the how organ transplantation works aspect of this as well. Now, we don't have time in this episode to cover it, but if you haven't listened to our penis transplant episode, we cover pretty much the whole process, not just penises, but for all organ right. transplants at the beginning of that episode. You know, how how uh, you go about finding a donor, the immunosuppressive medicine that's required, all of that, bone marrow transplants. So we're not going to really do a deep dive on that today, but keep in mind, a lot of the same principles apply here. Yeah, indeed. And just to drive them to the just key sobering facts here is that a, there's a worldwide shortage of donor organs out there. Yeah. And every day, just in the United States, 22 people die while waiting for organ transplants. And that's according mm-hmm. to federal statistics. Uh, and this is a great time as well. If you're feeling that, uh, that information hit you, uh, make sure that you are a registered organ donor. And if you have any, um, you know, issues surrounding that, uh, I encourage you to sort of uh, work your way through them. Yeah. Uh, and also, I believe in uh, depending on where you are, you can put certain uh, you can put certain limits on your own organ donation. So if you do have like a weird thing about your your heart, you know that sure. you want it to remain inside of a Coptic jar in your pyramid, uh, I believe you can. Uh, you, you can, can make specify that. Clear. that. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it, I'll reiterate this from the penis transplant episode. Some organs are not automatically covered on your regular old organ donor transplant card. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to specify, for instance, that they can take your penis or they can. T- I, I don't know what the other ones would be. Penis was the one that we really focused yeah. and, on. And, and I want to stress, if you're worried about what's going to happen to your penis after you die, yeah. um, Virtually, if, if you do nothing, if nothing happens to it, it's not donated, yeah. uh, nothing good is going to happen to your penis. Trust me. Yeah. Um, so why not donate it so it can do some good? Uh, so let's just cover this. There's a general kind of approach that has multiple angles for growing human organs, although we do sometimes grow animal organs to test out the process, in a vat, in a, a culture. Right. There are, there are actually, uh, you know, a few different approaches. This is a, a really exciting area of science. And if you, if you follow the literature like we do, uh, th- there's always some new technique that's, that's, you know, being experimented with or just sort of rolled out as a theoretical possibility. It's gotten to the point where, like, I'd say there's weekly, there's a headline about somebody using a 3D printer to buy, print some kind of biomaterial to the point where, like, it, it doesn't even maybe to us because we look at it so often, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel shocking anymore. The first time I was like, "Whoa, you can print skin on a 3D printer? Yeah. That's cool." Uh, yeah, but now it's kind of like, "Yeah, of course." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of them are basically that, like ink jetting cell types into organized structures. Essentially, uh, 3D printing with stem cells in some cases. Other times, you're talking about uh, the use of scaffolding, which we'll get into, or letting cells spontaneously self-organize into proto organs. Uh, you know, again, within mm-hmm. a vat of some kind or some sort of a culture. Um, yeah, the floating, I believe it's called the floating culture is yeah. what we're going to get into later the, when you have to grow something three-dimensionally. Yeah, and it's, this is all interesting because we're, we're playing with life here. We're manipulating self-building, self-organizing systems in order to build or grow specific structures and tissues for specific bodies. So it's not like you're just building something out of the bricks. It's like if right. you were building something yeah. out of bricks and the bricks had their own agenda already. Yeah, absolutely. These are not your father's Legos. These, these, well, they might be, but, <laughs> but yeah, they do. They like we uh, like we've talked about before. Whenever you're kind of rearranging.
changing cells on a, a human level and trying to get them to attach to other cells. There's all kinds of different things that they're doing. Uh, and that synthetic um, biomaterials one, we talk about that as well, too, in terms of how the how you can sort of program them to have different powers, right? Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about stem cells a little bit in this. So I just want to go ahead and throw out just a quick reminder yeah. about what stem cells are for everyone. And this is just information that comes right from How Stuff Works, uh, How Stem Cells Work article. Go check that out if you want a deeper dive. But a stem cell is essentially the building block of the human body. Stem cells are capable of dividing for long periods of time. They're unspecialized, and they can develop into specialized cells. So stem cells inside an embryo will eventually give rise to every cell, tissue, and organ in the fetus's body. But unlike a regular cell, which can only replicate to create more of its own kind of cell, a stem cell is pluripotent. When it divides, it can make any one of the 220 different cells in the human body. But we don't just have embryonic stem cells, which, of course, come from the embryo or the the, the fetus or the umbilical cord blood. We also have adult stem cells, which are uh, these are in already developed tissues, such as those of the heart, the brain, the kidney. And they usually give rise to cells within their resident organs. And then we also have induced pluripotent stem cells. And these are stem cells that are their adult. Uh, they're differentiated cells that have been experimentally reprogrammed into a stem cell-like state. And this is important to distinguish the difference between the embryonic stem cells and the adult stem cells because I feel like, you know, this was probably over 10 years ago that the big controversial mm-hmm. debate about using stem cells in science was going around in political circles. But I believe that most people think embryonic stem cells when they just hear stem cells. They're not thinking about that, that there's the possibility for other types of stem cells to be used in this. Yeah, the politics uh, kind of loaded the term a bit, so yeah, yeah it's good to, 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 um, to be specific. So let's talk about the main process that's used for growing flesh, I guess <laughs> is the best way to say it. Um, because then it's not always an organ, you know, it could be any kind of flesh depending on what you're, what you're scraping and what your, uh, kind of protein gel you're soaking it in. Right. But the process is general, generally called decellularization. And essentially what you're doing here is you're making replacement parts out of the raw materials from a patient or from undifferentiated stem cells. So you take cells from that organ, you put them into lab dishes, and you bathe them in a fluid that prompts them to multiply. Now, uh, I, I don't want to dive super deep into the biochemistry of all of this because I think it would confuse us and it would confuse m- most of our listeners unless you're already a biochemist, right? right. But, um, you know, it sounded to me like the type of fluid depended on what type of thing you're trying to grow, too. Uh, and this process takes a while. For instance, if you wanted to grow a human bladder, that takes about six weeks. You scrape some cells off, you get in the right mixture, you, sit, you let it wait, it takes about six weeks to go. But what you need before you can actually have an artificial organ is a temporary structure. And this is what we're talking about when we say scaffolding. Yeah. Uh, basically, this mimics the basic internal architecture of cartilage and it also protects the growing cells from any kind of mechanical stress upon them. So this scaffold is what we pour the cells onto. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. 
It always reminds me of um, the Terminator movies. Yeah. The exoskeleton, and then you're growing the, the flesh on it. Or yeah. specifically the toys that came out, where it was like an exoskeleton toy, and you had to put like the Play-Doh like, on it. Oh, you put Play-Doh on it? I was yeah. wondering if you could like peel its skin off and then put it back on again or something. Like, yeah, had, like a flesh suit. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if James Cameron and his crew did their homework on scaffolding back then. Although, in the 80s, I don't think scaffolding was really at its height yet you know this this uh, my understanding and we'll, we'll find out as we go along really kind of started in the 70s yeah um but maybe he was aware of it so if you use what are called chondroblast cells in the scaffold it allows the cells that you attach to grow and to divide and to even regrow the cartilage. Then you coat this with other cells that are important to the organ. So, for instance, if you're trying to grow a bladder, you would coat it with urothelial cells. Uh, this would allow it to sort of, you know, have the moistness and allow uh, urine to pass through, right? Uh, weirdest of all, you can actually design the scaffold to dissolve itself once all the cells are finished rebuilding, right? So... Cells grow up around this scaffold, they create their own system of cartilage, and then the scaffold dissolves, and boom, you've got an artificially grown organ. One of my favorite descriptions of the um, the process here yeah. uh, comes from the founder of Harvard Apparatus Regenerative Technology, or HART, and I think now it's actually called BioStage. Okay. Uh, but the founder was a man by the name of David Green, and in um, on, and is quoted in a Technology Review. He yeah. says, stem, stem cells are taken from a patient's bone marrow, and then they are rain down over the top of the scaffold, much like a chicken in a rotisserie. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining that this is like stem cell fondue. Yeah. Like <laughs> dip and drip. <laughs> well, the method was first pioneered by a guy named Larry Hench, and this was in the late 1960s. Basically, he and his team were seeing a lot of amputees coming back from the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and they wanted to try to do something. So they discovered and used a material that's called hydrozalapatite. And this is a mineral that actually occurs in the human body and bonds really well with bone. So they found that when they experimented with it in the form of what they called a bioactive glass, it had excellent properties for this application of artificial organs. Bone cells could actually live on it and then subsequently create healthy new bone. So it seems like it wor- it would work perfectly, right? You grow the cells for the, the muscle, the meat, I mm-hmm. guess, as we would call it, and then the bone itself will regrow in the cartilage as well. Huh. So that's the sort of origin of this starting off. And that's 60s. That's that's time enough to yeah, so, Terminator. Yeah. yeah, all right. James Cameron probably was down with uh, scaffolding science by then. Do you think the T-800 had any organs? Mm. It definitely had skin. It's a good question. It had blood. Yeah. It had at least something that looked like eyeballs over its robotic eyeballs. Could it eat? I can't remember. Could a T-800 eat? Hmm. Or did it just like... I'm also like... <laughs> Your corn dog, give it to me. <laughs> that Wow, I didn't know you had that Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think we, we all have an Arnold in <laughs> Um I, I keep getting my Terminator timelines confused with mm-hmm. all the new movies and the uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, yeah. which makes me, I don't know if those are considered canon anymore, but... They, I don't think even they know. Those, Yeah, I don't think they do either, but those robots were doing all kinds of weird things. Huh. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to throw that one out to listeners. So. They, I think they did like a kind of scaffolding type thing, though, in those. Like, they sort of tried to explain how it works. I remember they would like... In the show? Yeah, in the okay. TV yeah, show. I never watched would, the like, TV show, but I heard people and put their bodies in like a bathtub and melt down, melt them down so they could then subsequently 
kind of like this process, huh. like regrow the flesh on top of them. So they basically took their place. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. So organ scaffolding, um, in the, the real sense, uh, that we're talking about here also entails a great deal of biomimetic material possibilities. Uh, and this is an area where I've, I've kind of dealt with the topic some over the years, uh, for how stuff works. Uh, scientists, uh, continue to take inspiration from such uh, diverse wonder materials of the natural world as spider silk and also the squid suckerin protein responsible for the ringed sucker teeth on a squid's tentacle. Yeah. Uh, both of these materials are ideal as they're strong, they're malleable, and they're organic. Yeah, that's the really difficult thing here is like we can grow skin all the live long day, but mm-hmm. being able to grow materials that are both strong and flexible the same way our actual organs are is tough. Yeah, scientists in uh, in Germany have proposed using spider silk as a biocompatible, biodegradable adhesive matrix for skin repair specifically, and this uh, involves using dragline silk, which is like the the premium silk. Cuz mm-hmm. one thing to keep in mind is that spiders have Different types of, uh, of webbing. That this is like 200 create. thread count. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> spider silk, I think we have an old episode, uh, in the, in the archives about it. Yeah. Um, go back and listen to it if you want more, but it is, uh, uh yeah, this fascinating, strong, malleable substance. And, uh, and, and the spider is, is like a, a musician creating these yeah. different, uh, different, uh, notes of web. Uh, but, uh, this particular, um, uh, bit of research, they, 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 uh, were talking about, uh, weaving, uh, matrices on steel frames and seeding them with, uh, uh, blasts, which provide the structural background for all the connective tissue. Cool. And if you want something even crazier, and this is, this is, uh, one that I read about back in uh, 2010. We were just talking about this off air. This is bonkers. Yeah, this is. It's 2010. So it's actually a little bit old at this point. It was a Rice University scheme to inject cells with a metallic gel. And the researchers uh, then would uh, would have uh, succeeded in uh, suspending cultured cells in a three-dimensional magnetic field. And uh, this would serve as a magnetic scaffolding, and organs would be grown around that in the right shape without any foreign materials at all. Wow. Yeah. Which is, that's pretty crazy. Sadly, there doesn't seem to be a lot of new information on this. I don't know if they're still working on it or if it's an idea that is yeah. kind of shelved. But I'm also trying to imagine how the metallic substances uh, dissolve in the same way that like the, the organic scaffoldings that we're using do, yeah. you know, like, or would you just have, would you be like Wolverine and you just have like metal built into your, I don't know, your <laughs> flesh somehow just in flex here and there. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Wolverine because I feel like the second X-Men movie, there's yeah. a scene where Mystique injects like a prison guard oh, with a, yeah. a metallic gel so yeah. that Magneto can yes. uh, manipulate He him. has that. Yeah, 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 totally. He sucks the like metal dust out of this guy's body, right? So yeah. he can make little like orb. That's my favorite scene in that movie. Oh yeah, that, that he was, makes that the little orbs scene. and he's grinning while he's shooting the orbs around, smashing everything. Uh, Ian McKellen. If only we could artificially grow Ian McKellen. Now, in order to to pull off this uh, the scheme though with the magnetically uh, suspended uh, organ scaffolding, they'd need to be able to program a detailed magnetic field uh, that f- would float the stem cells in, ex- in the exact spots needed to grow the full organ. Mm-hmm. So, um, hopefully, you know, here we'll hear more about that one in the future because I think it's a pretty crazy cool idea. Yeah. But anyway, there are numerous studies out there uh, that quest for new and improved ways of scaffolding out an organ. Everything from synthetic collagen to uh, biomimetic materials, uh, self-assembling scaffolds, etc. So however you scaffold out the artificial organ that you're working on, once you've done that, the organ needs to be 
nurtured in an incubator that mimics our body's conditions so that the cells can grow together some more. Mm-hmm. You're looking basically to recreate the temperature and humidity of the human body. Now, re- remember when we talked to um, Mary Roach, mm-hmm. right? We talked uh, on the penile transplant episode. We talked about why the, the nose is particularly good for uh, doing penis transplants, right? Because the nose has the same sort of properties of moistness that you need for that spongy tissue in a penis. So this is the same kind of thing, basically. Like, you want to get these cells to react and deal with their environment the way that they're going to need to inside the human body. Then you implant it into the patient. The scaffold gradually dissolves. The biggest problem for this method is maintaining a blood supply to the artificial tissue once it's implanted in the human body. There are also a couple other uh, weird methods that haven't, similar to the, like, this metallic scaffold link thing, haven't really quite taken off yet. Um, but the first one, you know, we mentioned at the top is the 3D printing, right? So yeah, you can 3D print, uh, flesh right now. I don't know that you can 3D print organs in the same way that we, we do when we grow them in cultures like this. Right, cause it's, cause as, as we've kind of laid out here, it's like on one hand you have cells and then you have tissue. And yeah. it's one thing to have the tissue, but then to have the tissue, uh, and, and, or various tissues forming into an organ, that's a, a more complicated endeavor. So there's this company called Organovo. I wonder how long they spent, like, uh, trying to come up with that one. Or is it Organ, Organovo? Maybe, ooh, very nice. That one, that makes more that sense. Organovo. Out of, uh, they're based out of San Diego and they distribute body part printers. And these basically go to the, the labs that are already working on these artificial, uh, organs. It basically works just like an inkjet printer. It guides droplets of cells and scaffold materials onto a platform that gradually builds the tissue in three dimensions. So the labs all around the world use this. They mainly uh, build skin, muscle, and blood vessels out of it. One lab has actually refined it to be able to make a mouse-sized heart in 40 minutes. Oh, wow. And I want to use this as an opportunity to let you, the audience, know that we are about to get into some mouse brutality, big time. Like, this is a field where without mice and rats, uh, we wouldn't have been able to go far. And I'm going to have nightmares about these (laughs) swarms of rats that are going to be coming at me with artificially grown human organs attached to them in various positions. Uh. There's one other thing. I mentioned Wolverine earlier, right? Because Mm -hmm. of the whole metal thing. The ultimate goal here is that you wouldn't grow the organs in a vat, but rather that you would diagnose that there's something wrong with the organs ahead of time and that you would then inject healthy cells and growth-inducing molecules into these injured organs and prompt them to regenerate on their own. All right, so So repairing the organ as opposed to replacing it. Exactly, and we would be wolverines. We would just, our skin would regrow if we had a bad laceration or a burn, or, you know, our lungs would regrow if we had a smoking problem. Whatever. Whatever you need, just inject some of those cells. That's the future-oriented goal of this. We are not there yet, but Mm -hmm. that's what they're looking at. Now, um, you know, the best place is we've, we've discussed, we've talked about uh, the, the, the essential, uh, step in getting that, uh, synthetic organ inside a human body. Yeah. Uh, growing in, in just the right conditions, et cetera. So obviously the best place to grow a human organ is probably inside a human. Uh, failing that, well, what about a non-human animal? Yeah. So we've utilized a xenotransplantation in the past, say, you know, from a pig or a baboon. You know, we've all, we've all read about those various, uh, uh, transplants and they yeah. come with their share of, of 
concerns and complications as well. I'm envisioning like you just take like a, a blue whale mm-hmm. and you just fill it up with human <laughs> organs. Like it's just a giant blue whale organ growing farm. I do love that idea. It, <laughs> it reminds me of one of my favorite uh, Invader Zim episodes where oh, really? he's going around the school. Uh, Zim is a, as an alien disguised yeah. as a, a, a child. This is Johan Vasquez's yeah. thing. Yeah. In, in one of the darker episodes, he's going around harvesting organs from the children uh-huh. and implanting them in his own body until he's just a bloated balloon of, of pilfered organs and all the children are sick. Yeah, I couldn't help but have dark thoughts as I was, uh, as I was doing this research. This is fertile ground for uh, some horror material. Yeah. And but but more to the point, fertile ground for growing organs. Why not just grow a human ready organ inside of, say, a pig? Uh, well, there's research into this. Researchers at the University of California, Davis, have done just that, created embryos that have both human and pig cells. They've used human stem cells from an adult skin or hair, used them in a pig embryo and then injected uh, it into the uterus of a pig. Now. Uh, in these experiments, after 28 days, the, they terminate the pig's pregnancies and then they analyze the cell remnants. Mm. But essentially, the, the idea here is pretty awesome because you just you knock out the section of an animal's DNA that concerns a particular organ and then you replace it with human adult stem cells. Embryos don't have an immune system, so they can't reject the foreign cells. Right. And those cells begin growing the desired organ. So this is a long way from being a viable option for organ replacement. But... And, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. If you're ethical issues depending aside. On, yeah, depending on your, your moral, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, standing. Yeah. Yeah. Ethical issues aside, you are growing needed transplant organs within a domesticated animal and then harvesting them for use. It also makes your question at the top of the episode a little more problematic. It does. If I'm eating an organ from a pig, is it uh, actually a humanized pig? Are those human organs? Yeah. Yeah, how should I feel about that? Uh, and speaking of ethical quandaries, I suppose this is probably a, a, a good time to remind the audience uh, that I'm the vegetarian on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are about to talk about exactly that, not being a vegetarian, but growing synthetic meat to mm-hmm. eat the same way that we grow very similar way to how we grow artificial organs. And I wanted to throw this in here as well, because my natural thought goes to, well, if we can grow these human organs, should we eat them? <laughs> you know, are you a cannibal if you eat a human bladder that's been grown in a vat? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes eating medical waste all the more. <laughs> problematic yeah, right you know? t- totally and uh and also like you know who knows how it tastes but if you want to know maybe you want to know what human flesh tastes like but you don't want to you know go that far down the extreme path it, it provides a safe outlet for the hannibal lectures exactly, of the world right? exactly yeah exactly i was thinking of hannibal and all those perfect feasts he put together well so the synthetic meat thing works a little differently but here's a quick overview you take some muscle cells from a living animal and you use it to culture lumps of tissue ostensibly to be eaten. Uh, they're said to look a little bit more like calamari than beef. So I, I, I used to uh, work in a kitchen, a seafood kitchen, and cut calamari all the time, mm-hmm. thinking like white kind of plasticky strips rather than, you know, what we think of as like ground beef. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bland stuff. Uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, but the plan that they're talking about to make it taste better is to mix in artificial blood and fat so it actually tastes like meat. Uh, so that then subsequently, like, where do you get the artificial blood? Where do you get the fat? You know, but, but anyway, um, in 20, 
sorry, in 2001, bioengineers at New York's Toro College did this with a goldfish. They immersed the goldfish's cells in a nutrient-rich fetal bovine serum. The muscle cells then divided and reproduced like normal, producing chunks of fish flesh. But none of these researchers would eat it after, even after the lead researcher flavored it and fried it in oil. He said, come on, somebody eat it. Nobody would. Ah, where are the, where are the mad scientists? Here's the thing. I'm a vegetarian. I think I'd eat that. I, I mean, in the name of science, I would give it a try. Yeah, why not? Uh, well, in 2011, somebody did have the guts to go ahead and do this. At the University of Missouri, uh, they had a specialist produce a sample of synthetic muscle, and then he ate that at a conference. Now he has started his own company called Modern Meadows to sell grown meat to consumers. Uh, it's not on the market yet, but they are talking about using a 3D printer to build fake meat. And a team of researchers in the Netherlands is working on something similar. In 2007, they said that they could manufacture fake meat. And I'm not talking about like soy meat, like you buy in the grocery store, mm-hmm. corn or something like something that. Something that is more it, biologically. Cellularly, it is meat. Yeah. It is meat. yeah. Uh, they think that they can manufacture it for $5,000 a ton. And I heard that and I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it's actually economically competitive with the costs of actual meat nowadays. It's, yeah, especially when you take into account just the environmental footprint of raising a cow. Raising Absolutely. A yeah, that's part of the, the big argument. I mean, this a, a lot of this research isn't being done because of like a vegetarian style ethical argument. It's being done for exactly what you're talking about, which is the impact that the meat industry has on our environment. Yeah. Uh, so these are really, they're just chunks of meat. But here's the thing, like, let's say you want your steak, right? Mm-hmm. Well, steak's a little bit more complex. It's got fibers, it's got blood vessels, there's fat involved, right? So you can't just grow a steak right now. Right. Um, and then the question really is, is if you put this out there and marketed it, would people actually eat vat-grown meat? I think they would. I, You know, I've thought about this a lot in the past, uh, not only concerning fake meat and synthetic meat, but also uh, the use of um, of insect protein yeah. in food. Because, of course, some people, um, you know, have a problem with that. And I always wonder why, when you, especially when you're looking not at steak, but say uh, chicken nuggets at a fast food restaurant sure, yeah. or fish sticks or some of the very processed forms of meat out there. Like, what is the difference? This is so removed from the, the, the creature that, uh, uh, that it was. Yeah. Then, you know, why, why not just make it from, uh, some cheaper, more, you know, easily acquired protein that is just as good for us? Mm-hmm. Why not use synthetic vat grown meat in the nuggets if the neg- nuggets are essentially made from this weird, uh, grotesque chicken slurry anyway? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go too down. We don't have the research in front of us and I don't want to go too down the vegetarian <laughs> rabbit hole on this one. But yeah, I think most people recognize that like a lot of fast food isn't as much meat as we'd like to think, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of chemical components in there that are holding it together. Yeah, it's a very processed meat based protein yeah. food. Yeah. So if, if we're if we're okay with that, if we can all say chicken nuggets are okay as a process if we cut out any ethical concerns then let's take that process and apply it to uh to, you know to synthetic biology yeah yeah well we certainly have come a long way with human beings and so I'd, we're going to spend the rest of the episode going through the human body organ by organ as to what we have built so far but let's take a quick break 
And when we come back, we're going to start off with human skin grown in vats. Hey, everybody, your to-do list uh, can seem out of control at times. So much to do, so little time. But there's one thing you can check off your to-do list. That's going to the post office, thanks to Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage right from your own computer and printer. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale. It'll automatically calculate the exact postage you need for any letter or package, any class of mail. You'll never waste valuable time going to the post office again. You can do everything right from your desk with Stamps.com. Print the postage you need put it on your letter or package, and then just hand it to your mail carrier. Voila, you're done. Now, we use Stamps.com here at How Stuff Works uh, when we need to send off the odd bit of merger correspondence, and we want you to try it out as well. So right now, use our promo code STUFF, that's S-T-U-F-F, for this special offer. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in STUFF. That's stamps.com, enter stuff, and start mailing things. All right, we're back. So as we begin to make our way through the human body here, through some of the various tissues and, and parts that we're able to grow, I think it is helpful to, A, sort of think of that Frankenstein scenario. Yeah. Building a person from spare parts, but also maybe that Terminator scenario as well. Like yeah. how much How much of, of our Terminator could we put together yeah. today? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's start with the skin. We could do that. Yep. Uh, skin is very difficult because it has seven different types of cells that are all arranged in a complicated structure. And doctors have been trying to do this since the 70s, mainly so they could help burn victims. Now, keratinocytes are cells, they're one of those seven cells in our skin that were giving these doctors the most trouble. They they basically make their way to the surface before we shed them off. But while they're making their way to the surface, they emit a chemical signal that activates skin growth. So they are crucial to the skin regeneration process. James F. Burke and Jonas Giannis came up with the means that acted like like a skin covering, basically, while they were encouraging keratinocytes to do the thing that they do. They created a layer of skin using collagen from cows and sharks together with a sugar molecule. That served as their scaffolding, so they're using the scaffolding method, even with skin, for new growing cells. Once this new dermis had fully formed, the temporary model underneath dissolved and the new cells grew into its place. So basically the decellularization process we were talking about earlier. Now, even with this membrane, where do you get the the skin grafts from, right? If you move it from another part of a patient's body, well, that can be painful, as you might imagine, right? Although we do that plenty of times. It's still, it's, it's not a comfortable process. They also tried using cadaver skin. So we talked about this in the penis transplant episode, using cadavers' penises. But in this case, they tried taking the skin off of dead people and applying it to living people. Uh, that is right out of a horror story as well to me. So we, we're, we're building a flesh golem already, basically. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work very well. The immune system completely rejected it. And because burn patients are already susceptible to infection, they didn't want to use the usual immunosuppressive cocktail that they throw into uh, these people so that they can uh, accept the new organs. So this was their solution. Grow new skin from the patient's own cells. They fed these cells nutrients. Then they let them take weeks to grow into a sheet of skin that they then applied on top of the burn area. 
This is sometimes treated with antibacterial proteins that reduce the risk of infection during the transplantation. Now, all this sounds awesome, right? But uh, growing skin in a lab is real slow and it's super expensive. But I've got two fun facts for you today. Okay. L'Oreal, you know the cosmetics company L'Oreal? They actually hold the patent for lab-grown skin that is derived from skin that's discarded during someone's plastic surgery. So that biomedical waste we were talking about earlier can be used in place of animals for testing reactions to cosmetics. Huh. So the the pieces of flesh removed from, say, a Hollywood uh, actor's face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. can then be used to grow new skin, either for that actor or presumably for someone else. Right, yeah, and then you, you know, rather than spraying hairspray into the eyes of like a ferret or a raccoon or something like that, you spray it on this thing. Okay. See how it reacts. Funner fact, new skin can also come from the foreskin of a circumcised infant. With just a little bit of skin, like maybe like the size of a postage stamp, mm-hmm. you can grow four acres of skin tissue in a lab. Now, newborn cells don't rouse a host's immune system, so this is ideal, right? It's sort of like the, uh, similar to the embryonic stem cell, uh, research, right? Uh, they, they don't really have any particular kind of cell things so that they don't, uh, get, make the immune system unhappy and attack it. So, this may actually be better for grafting. So, can you imagine, like, like, okay, like, either every time somebody gets plastic surgery or every time a kid gets circumcised, mm-hmm. s- instead of just, like, throwing it in the trash or whatever, they're, like, you know, putting it in a biomedical bag and ch- shipping it to some lab somewhere so they can use it to subsequently grow lots of skin. It's like cutting out uh, biscuits in a sheet of dough. You don't just throw away the extra dough. You exactly. ball it back up and you make one more biscuit out of it. Bingo. So so essentially here, we, we can see the skin of our Frankenstein monster. We yep. can see the skin of the Terminator. I mean, hey, maybe the T-800 is just nothing but foreskin. Exactly. Flesh. Foreskin or <laughs> discarded plastic surgery yeah. waste. Yeah. So he might, he might be a little lumpy, uh, but yeah, we can do it. We've, <laughs> we've got plenty of skin to grow around. Four acres. I think we can put four acres on our Frankenstein Terminator. Okay. So... Up next, mm-hmm. obviously, we want our Terminator to be able to look people in the eyes when it buys corn dogs and guns. Exactly. And we also want our Frankenstein monster to be able to see what it's doing. What can we do about eyes? Well, the first thing we can do is make sure that a Terminator can cry. Uh, <laughs> so we can build it tear ducts. Oh, yeah, uh, this is highly important, which we discussed in our uh, the Creepypasta episode where we talk about uh, the loss of eyelids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the Tokyo University of Science, they actually bioengineered the glands that produce tears and saliva. Now, they didn't do it for a Terminator. They did it to help people who have chronically dry eyes and mouths mm. so they could reinstall those glands and help them out. Uh, even further, this seems to be like an area of study that's prominent in Japan. There's an article uh, from Scientific American in 2012 called Grow Your Own Eye. Uh, and it's f- about further studies in Japan that have shown that they can use stem cells to actually grow a retina. Uh, the same team has also grown cortical tissue and part of a pituitary gland. But uh, they basically hope that their success with the retinal tissue methods will help treat eye disorders like macular degeneration in the future. Now, the method they use, 
Very similar to what we talked about earlier. They put embryonic stem cells in a culture dish. They expose them to chemicals that influence eye formation, and then they wait. And eventually it forms into the shape of the optic cup of an embryonic eye. And they use, this is where they use the floating culture I talked about, which is a three-dimensional culture uh, that allows the cells to grow into the complex topology of an eye rather than just like a flat sheet. This structure also helps communicate between the cells. Like, they actually communicate better between one another, which facilitates growth, which makes sense because we're three-dimensional beings, right? We're not we're not flat 2D right. creatures. So, yeah. So we've got eyes now on our robot uh, slash Frankenstein. So he's got eyes and skin. All right, so our Frankenstein's monster might be able to see, might not, but at the very least, our Terminator might have eye flesh covering its robot eyes. Yeah, and it can cry. Okay. Uh, but it's gonna probably need to hear, right? If it needs to, like, hunt down its, uh, John Connor, for instance, hearing's pretty important. Right, or at least needs to look like it has ears. It needs to have at least the physical structures of ears so it doesn't have to wear a hat all the time. And that we've been able to do for a while, actually. Um, but by harvesting cartilage from a patient's ribs, we've actually been able to reconstruct ears in the past. Uh, physicians at Cornell have actually used a 3D printer to print uh, an ear with living cells from cows and collagen from rat tails. So the so let, sorry, let me slow that down and repeat it again. The living cells come from the cows. The collagen comes from the rat tails. Uh, and then this infamous ear, you may have seen this a year or two ago, the ear that was transplanted onto a mouse's back to uh, basically there is a picture going around of this mouse running around with a human ear on its back. Uh, they transplanted it on there so they could ensure that the ear would retain its shape before they actually put it on a human being. Now, another example of this that I love uh, comes from performance artist uh, Stellark. Uh, okay. With him. No. Uh, so in 2007, he had a cell cultivated ear surgically attached to his left arm. Really? Yeah. And it's all part of it, like a, a I believe ongoing. I, I, yeah. I think he still has the ear. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Uh, but it's all part of this ongoing uh, sort of body modification oh, okay. uh, performance art thing. That he's so he's doing. sort of doing, yeah, like a transhumanist style thing. That's interesting. Um, well, I wonder if he did this method or if he did the old school method, which is basically taking cow and sheep cells and forming those into an ear around a flexible wire frame. Okay. So you basically take like a pipe cleaner, I guess, <laughs> and grow cells around it, turn it into an ear and attach it. So, okay, we got ears, we got eyes, we got skin. Next up, windpipe. Now, believe it or not, this was the first engineered organ that was implanted in a human being, and it happened in 2008. Uh, they grew the windpipe from the patient's own stem cells, and this was the first step toward using the scaffolding technology that we've been talking about this whole episode. Yeah, that uh, company that I mentioned earlier, Harvard Apparatus Regenerative Technology, which is now yeah. known as BioStage, yeah. uh, they conducted several of these, each by growing the patient's own stem cells on a lab-made scaffold. And they've uh, since re-engineered the technique into uh, what they call their cell frame technology, and uh, this is aimed to, quote, better stimulate the regenerative properties of the organ. Huh. And they plan to move beyond the trachea and the bronchus and tackle uh, uh, other organs as well. But, okay. but yeah, the, the trachea, the windpipe, has an important place in uh, our our ongoing sure. uh, development of synthetic organs. Yeah, I mean, we're, our, our Terminator here, he's going to need to 
at least pretend to breathe somehow. And if mm-hmm. he's got like a voice box, he'll need to provide wind to go through it somehow so that he can do his Arnold Schwarzenegger talk. Yeah, I think his trachea is going to be really top shelf to the point where if anyone <laughs> questions his humanity, he can say, of course, I am human. Look at my trachea. Yeah. Maybe that's why he has the accent. Yeah. I oh, always wondered why. Well, why? Yeah. Why would they build? An an, uh, a robot android Terminator, send it back in time, but it has a really thick accent. I always, because I, I thought about this as a child, yeah. um, and I always assumed it's a global war, right? Yeah. And maybe the, the computers just didn't really understand the diversity of humans, and they were like, oh. we must uh, cap- capture a human specimen, uh, manipulate, uh, you know, capture its voice, mm-hmm. capture its appearance, and they got essentially Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they said, there it is. That's what humans sound like. That's what they look like. That's why, that's why he's so, their specimen is so ripped and so Austrian. Yeah, that makes sense. And then along the line, they became a little bit more refined. They weren't really as muscular down the road, were they? The other ones. Yeah, like a T-1000 little and the, the woman from Terminator 3. They mm-hmm. were sleeker. Uh, what's her name from the TV show, the Sarah Connor Chronicles? She's like a ballerina. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I, I have to admit, I have not seen the latest one, the Genesis one mm-hmm. with Khaleesi and, uh, uh, who's the Terminator? Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Arnold's Terminator back. In that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they explain in that one. If somebody's out there going, Oh, you guys <laughs> got to see Terminator Genesis, four star movie. Let us know. Uh, I saw it on an airplane. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. Oh, okay. It is a great airplane movie. I highly yeah. recommend watching Terminator Genesis on an airplane. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next comes up, our Terminator needs arms and legs if it's going to run around and grab people and, you know, jump and do all the things that it does, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in 2015, Massachusetts General Hospital actually grew entire rat arms in a Petri dish. You can actually watch this video on YouTube, and it is, it's nuts. They used the same decellularization technique we've been talking about, where the living rat donates cells to regrow organ tissue. And you watch it in a, in this video uh, in um, that what do they do they speed they speed up the frame rate mm-hmm. uh, and it contains bones cartilage blood vessels tendons ligaments and nerves so they're hoping this will make way for transplants for amputees so for right now our our terminator would just have little rat legs and 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 arms but yeah. down, we're getting close. Yeah, the prognosis, I think, is far better for the Terminator as opposed to the Frankenstein monster because right. the, the, the mechanical exoskeleton will provide the movement and you can, as long exactly. as we get the appearance of those gigantic Arnold muscles, yeah. then we've got it. Yeah, and that we could probably do. Uh, brains. How's this thing going to think? Well, if it's Terminator, it's probably got a computer brain, right? Yeah. But what about Frankenstein? Well, in 2013, scientists in Vienna at the Institute of Molecular Biotechnology actually created a miniature brain in their lab. Now, this was the size of an embryo brain at nine weeks old, so it's pretty small, Mm -hmm. but it had active neurons in the same organizational structure as our brains, and they use stem cells to grow this. So we've got a teensy tiny little brain inside our uh, flesh golem now. What if we want our flesh golem to be a woman, right? Like uh, the the um, female Terminators that we've seen. That's right. Years. We have seen female Terminators. And as far as Frankenstein goes, we know uh, Frankenstein's monster. Exactly. Uh, we know from the novel uh, and some of the film adaptations that he's going to ask for a mate. We mm-hmm. need to be prepared to create that mate. 
Uh, so we're going to need those breasts. Well, we can grow breasts. At the Heimholtz Center for Health and Environmental Research in Germany, researchers have grown, again, miniature mammary glands in order to study the development of breast cancer. Same same thing. They took healthy tissue from a woman undergoing breast reduction surgery, so it was somebody who was already getting rid of mm-hmm. these cells. They turned that into a gel that allowed the cells to divide and spread the same way that mammary glands do during puberty, and they grew outwards. I mean, it's the tissue, right? They're not right. actually growing a breast. It's not like it has a nipple on the end right. of it, right? But it is the same kind of tissue, so they can do tests on it. So I guess theoretically we could use this and attach it to our, our, uh, Terminator Golem. Yeah. And you know, I, I should, I'm also, I should mention that of course, with humans, uh, particularly, uh, you know, humans, human males can lactate. Yeah. So, you know, if yeah. the conditions are right. So we actually have a great brain stuff episode on mm-hmm. why do men have nipples? Yeah. Both on the audio podcast that I host and, and on the video series. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's a fascinating topic. I think there's an older stuff to blow your mind that goes into it as well. But, uh, but yeah, essentially the, the, the male, uh, uh, equipment is, uh, just as functional as the female equipment. It just takes a little more to kickstart it mm-hmm. unless you're a fruit bat. Fruit bat, male fruit bats can actually lactate and do lactate as part uh, of normal, uh, you know, child rearing technology. Bats are so much far further ahead of us. I in, know. in many ways. You know, sometimes the the Arnold T eight hundred Terminators take on a um, a nurturing role in the movies. Yeah. So yeah. it would be good. I I don't know if Skynet thought of this, but it would be good if uh, if uh, if the, the Terminator could activate its mammary glands. Hey, wait them. a minute. Maybe that's why his pecs are so big. He's yeah. just got like juicy pecs. <laughs> Yeah, maybe Skynet was like, all right, can he lactate, though? That's what humans do. Yeah, exactly. and they're like, all right, make sure it's in there. Wow. Man, we are uncovering so much about James Cameron's legacy today here <laughs> on the show. Okay, next up, bladders. So we talked already. Bladders are possible. The Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they've grown everything from muscles, blood vessels, and skin to a complete urinary bladder. And they've implanted these in more than two dozen children and young adults. And I was like, wow, that's why. Uh, and it turns out it's because they were all born with defective bladders. These are the first lab-generated human organs implanted in humans. Now, this seems to contradict the windpipe thing from earlier. I think the windpipe was actually the first one, but these bladders are more along the lines of like an actual organ, whereas right. like the windpipe is like a structure. Really more right? like a tissue structure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so their hope is that this will become the standard pr- procedure for dealing with people with bladder defects. But so now our flesh golem, he's got a, a, a bladder. And uh, while we're at it, why don't we give him some kidneys? Uh, so kidneys, remember Mass General? They were growing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. They've also grown kidneys using the decellularization process. Uh, and guess what they did with that kidney? They attached it to a rat. Uh, they they even produced urine once they were attached to the rat. So wow. there you go. So you've got your bladder and your kidneys. So this uh, this thing can uh, at least mimic the effect of urination. Yeah, essential for uh, our Frankenstein's monster, but also for the the Terminator. If its skin is, you know, it's never really explained how that skin stays alive, how it stays, yeah, uh, how it cr- produces blood. But presumably, it might need to drink water in order to stay hydrated and and look like something other than a mummy. Yeah, you would think. And if the skin and the muscle tissue that we've grown to put on this thing has blood vessels, we're going to need something to pump blood through those vessels, right? Well, 
We can grow artificial hearts. At the University of Pittsburgh, scientists used skin cells from humans to create heart cells, and then they developed those into heart muscle. And once you supplied them with blood, these little mini hearts actually contracted spontaneously. Oh, wow. This made me think of um, The Strain, which we've covered on the show before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like the guy keeps his wife's heart in a bottle. Oh, yeah, with and the he, worms. Like, and he, like, drops, like, one drop of blood into it, and it, and it starts contracting. This is what I was imagining oh, wow. was this creepy heart. Yeah, a little telltale heart thrown in there as well. Um, and guess what they did? They grew this human heart on a mouse's heart. Now, I can't imagine what that looked like or what the procedure was, but it worked. Uh, and we could theoretically advance this technique to replace heart tissue when somebody has a heart attack. Uh, and the reason why this is important, like a lot of you are probably out there thinking, well, wait a minute, I've seen artificial hearts. This has been around for decades, mm-hmm. right? They are, but standard artificial hearts are only used when a patient is about to die because they don't last very long. So this kind of uh, artificially grown heart tissue would be much better for our purposes. And finally, what brought us to this whole episode to begin with? Artificial genitals. Well, on one hand, our Frankenstein's monster needs genitals. Yeah. Um, if it is going to be an approximation be of humans. Yeah. yeah. And I assume the Terminator has genitals. We never see them, but it is implied that they are there. Yeah. So I just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, nude Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you never really see any, any frontness, huh? Yeah. It's usually shot in such a way. I don't know. Maybe he's like a Ken doll down there, but I, I doubt it. Uh, in 2008, the, we've mentioned these guys already, the Wake Institute for Regenerative Medicine, they were able to grow artificial penises for 12 rabbits. Now, you're probably saying, wait a minute, what? Rabbits? Well, eight of these rabbits were actually able to ejaculate with these artificially grown penises. Four of them were able to produce offspring with them. Now, the team, this is the same team that announced the bioengineered bladder that we talked about earlier, but they followed this up by giving four women bioengineered vaginas. And actually, the artificially grown penis is trickier. The penis, as we talked about in our penis transplant episode, it is structurally complex. It has a dense mass of cells, and you've got that spongy tissue that's unique to it, so it's really difficult to replicate. So... They basically used the scaffolding technique that we talked about earlier. They took a donor's penis, soaked it in detergent and enzymes, and washed away all of the donor's cells. What they're left with is the collagen scaffold of the penis. They reseed it with the patient's own cells that are grown in a culture, both muscle cells and endothelial cells. And even though they've engineered half a dozen of these penises, they're not ready to do any transplants just yet. So based on our penis transplant episode, we're still stuck with the methodology that we talked about there. They need to assess the safety and effectiveness of this first. They literally have a machine that they use to squish, stretch, and twist these artificially grown penises to make sure that they stand up to everyday life. So it's kind of like the machine at Ikea that like pummels a chair constantly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They test erections in these things by pumping fluid through them. In the short term, they're looking at growing small penis parts to help replace partially damaged organs, usually from 
degradation at old age. Now, let's talk about those vaginas, too, right? You know, we don't just have to give this Terminator a penis. We could give it a vagina. Hey, maybe we give it both. Maybe both. Right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, four, those four patients that I talked about earlier, they were assessed for this, uh, and they had vaginal aplasia. And so a similar technique was used to the one above described for the bladders, the one that I mentioned earlier, the same Wake Forest Institute structure, basically scaffolding. In 2005, they implanted the first vagina. Eight years later, all four of the recipients have the normal structure and function in these artificial vaginas. These patients were young at the time that they were implanted. They were 13 to 18 years old. The scientists involved took vulvar biopsies and then they cultured and expanded those cells outwards. Same same process, basically, that we've been talking about here. There's been no long-term post-operative complications. And the areas that they've tested these in include desire, arousal, lubrication for orgasms, satisfaction, and whether or not they were able to have painless intercourse, hmm. all of which succeeded from the research. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. So there we have it. I mean, that's that's the end of our organs list uh, as far as we could find in the research. So we got a brain, ears, an eye, or two eyes, tear ducts, a windpipe, skin, little tiny limbs. Uh, or if we, if we built out the exoskeleton, it can have normal limbs with the skin stretched over it. It's got a bladder and some kidneys. And it's got some genitals. Hmm. So we're missing a lot of stuff. Yeah. We don't have lungs yet, you know. And everything else. Yeah. So <laughs> the, prog- the prognosis is better for the Terminator yeah. than for our Frank. But you could like build a semi-convincing exterior yeah. fake human. I think so. Um, you know, I, I can't help but think back to the episode that Joe and I did on the science of Dune. Yeah. Uh, it was a two-parter, and one of them we talked a little bit about the skin dancer. I don't know if you're familiar with the No, the I don't know dancers. that one. They're essentially shapeshifters like engineered shapeshifter organisms that okay. work for uh, uh, the, the Benifilu. These aren't in the movies, then. I don't I remember think them. there's one that shows up in the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, okay. Films. okay. Um, but uh, there were a couple of different uh, sources where people said, all right, how would you make a humanoid? How would you engineer a human to change its shape, to change its sex, even? Right, yeah. And one of the two theories involved like engineering, essentially... What appears to be a vagina. Okay. But the vagina can open and then male genitalia descend through it. So it would, okay. be, it would be all about just the appearance rather than necessarily the functionality. Huh. But, interesting. Uh, yeah. But some of this research uh, that, we, that we've just discussed here yeah. is getting, uh, oh, yeah, we can you know, get very, there. very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, those of you out there who are listening and made it this far through our, uh, our construction of our flesh golem, uh, I want to hear from you. Did we miss some organs? Because this was everything that we could find. Are there other organs out there that have been artificially grown that we didn't hear about that we should add to the list? Let us know. Uh, and I want to know from you, too. Would you eat artificially grown meat? Uh, and in particular, would you eat artificially grown human meat? Would you eat... Flesh from a T-800's exoskeleton. Yeah. 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 Would you eat that? Sear it up. Mm, that, I wonder why they haven't done that in the movies. It yet. seems like, yeah, it would yeah, be, they would, they're trapped somewhere. They need to eat. And exactly. And he just like yeah. whips off some uh, forearm bacon yeah. and fries it up. Yeah. yeah. I believe, like, again, my comic nerd coming out, I'm pretty sure Wolverine's done that in the comics before. <laughs> 
Oh, he's, that, that raises he's so many questions. Cut off his own flesh, cooked it, and eaten it while it regrows so that he can s- sustain himself. That, I feel like there are some basic problems with that scenario. <laughs> uh, but the, we'll have to discuss those another time. Yeah. The auto cannibalism, um, of Wolverine. Well, where can they write it to us to let us know about their thoughts on all of these depraved <laughs> ways to eat things? <laughs> uh, well, of course, you can always go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership, and that's where you'll find uh, links out to various social media accounts that we're on, such as Facebook and Twitter. We're Blow the Mind on both of those. You'll also find us on Tumblr and Instagram. Um, and also, StuffToBlowYourMind.com just has all the podcast episodes, all the videos, blog posts, you name it. And hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully, um, certainly, it is going to be redesigned soon, and it'll look uh, all the snazzier. And if you want to write to us about artificial organs the old-fashioned way, you can hit us up at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 